Is there ever a good day to get pulled over? I mean, have you ever woke up on a Tuesday and just thought, today, that'd be the day? You know, I remember the first time that I got pulled over, I think I was 17, I was running an errand for my mom, probably going to pick something up for like 10 bucks, and that $10 trip became a $210 trip, you know? I was like, Mom, I'm here because of you. She said, you're still speeding, so that was on me. I've been pulled over, well, I won't admit to you how many times today, but I've been pulled over more than that one time, and it's never fun, right? Especially when someone else is in the car. Nothing gets awkward faster than when you're getting pulled over with somebody else. There was this one time, Savannah and I were going somewhere, and we, and we took an Uber, and we're in, in the car, and you know, we're just going to have a good trip. We're just going to do something fun. And man, things got messy fast. Because before you know it, the lights are in the back, and you're getting pulled over. You don't know what you're supposed to do in that time. I mean, do you say, ah, he didn't mean it? I mean, what do you say? And so, you know, sometimes you're going about, you're going through something in life. You have a hope for what it's going to be, and then it just gets messy. I want to welcome you to Crosspoint this morning. My name is Cale Courtright, one of the ministers here. If you're new here with us today, we are so glad you've been here to worship with us, whether you're here in person, if you're online today. Um, I continually say there's nothing more important, there's no better way to start your week than being here together. Something that will not only challenge you, but encourage you, get you through the week, because we know there's a lot going on, but this is the family of God. This is a time to come together, uh, to be lifted up, to encourage, and to encourage others. So we're glad that you're here to worship with us today. But this church family, I also want you to know, wants you to take the next step. There's lots of ways to be involved. You heard some of them already. And we want you to take that next step, whether it's join us for Grand Prairie Big Event. There's a table out in the commons. You can serve um, alongside us with other people here in a few weeks. Whether it's join, uh, take part in our men's conference coming up the 1st of April. There's a lot of things to do around here, and they all have a different intention in mind, but it's mostly that we can all go take that next step together in relationship with one another, because that's what we're here for. We use the term family, and we mean it here, and so we want you to be part of this family. We believe that God brought us together for a reason. As I said, we're, we are going to start a series today called Messy, and if you have your Bible with you or if you have a, the Bible app on your phone, go ahead and go over to Philippians chapter 1. That's in the New Testament, and we'll get there in a minute. But really, Paul writes this letter, and he writes it to the church at Philippi, and it's, what, what do you do when life gets messy? What do you do when you're in a relationship with somebody else and life gets messy? And I don't know if you've been there before, that you've been in a relationship where life gets messy. Maybe if, if you have a significant other, or if you have a parent, or if you have kids, or if you have friends, or if you have coworkers, or if you have neighbors, or the people you see at the grocery store every time you go, my guess is, is that somewhere along the way, the relationship has gotten messy. Or maybe just as you live your life, in the face of culture, especially as a Christian person, sometimes life gets messy. So we're going to dig into this book over the next four weeks, Tim and I are. And here's my challenge that I want to put before you just at, at the start here today is, I hope that you will read this book, Philippians, it's four chapters, read it every week in the next, for the next four weeks. It won't take you long, I promise. Just read it. Read it once a week so that way when we come in here on a Sunday morning, we're not going to hit every verse. You're going to find out that Philippians is a rich 
book. There is a lot in there. We're not going to hit all of it, but you'll have that kind of playing in the background. You'll know what's going on in the book. So that's my challenge before you today. As I said, Paul writes this letter to this town of Philippi, and they are a proud Roman colony. In fact, a lot of former military people in the Roman army, they, they, when they retire, they move to Philippi. They are proud to be citizens of Rome. They are proud to be citizens of Philippi. And Paul is writing to this church that's coming out of that culture. Philippi, in some ways, might have thought of themselves as a little Rome. They were official. They were patriotic. They were suspicious of people or movements that were not loyal to Caesar. You know, they were the kind of people that would tell you, man, not only am I part of the Roman Empire, but I am from Philippi. You know, they're the kind of people that were very proud of where they were from, that they would love to tell people about it and say, yes, I'm from there, but I'm also from Texas. I'm from Philippi. And they loved where they were from. But now they're walking into the church and Paul has a different lesson for them there. And so as we read this, keep that in your mind, that these people are walking out of this culture, not completely dissimilar to ours. And Paul is addressing them there. Now, I want to also say Paul is addressing them as a friend. Paul has a long history with this church. And this, the book of Philippians, for a first century person, reads like a form letter. That when they started reading it, they knew what they were getting into. And this is what we call a friendship letter. And you know form letters. Maybe when you applied to college, if you went to college back, back in the day, you read those letters that just start off, Dear so-and-so, we regret to inform you. You threw that in the trash, right? You don't need to read the rest. It's a form letter. Philippians is a form letter, and it's what we call a friendship letter. Meaning, as they started reading it, they knew a friend is writing this, and they're writing it for a friendship purpose. They're writing to encourage, they're writing to challenge, to challenge us, but they have a close relationship. So Paul is writing this letter. I would say the primary motivation is to encourage them. But don't read that like just like a cheerleader. He's not just there to rah-rah encourage but as a friend does for us, a good friend not only encourages like that, but they also challenge us, don't they? They also remind us of what's important to us. They, they hold us accountable. They challenge us alongside encourage. So Paul is going to do that for them as well. So we're going to start in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. And we're kind of bypassing the intro of the book. And man, I, again, I encourage you to go read it. There's a lot of good things in there. It's a, like I said, it's a rich book. So let's start in verse 27 today. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So there's a lot in this passage. I want to circle back and I want to pull out three things that I think are still applicable for us today. Three lessons, three challenges for us today. And the first comes right at the start there. Paul says, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And you may read that and you go, does he really mean whatever? Does he mean whatever happens? Because I'm reading this in 2022. 
We've had a pandemic for a couple of years. Uh, we have um, inflation. We have war in Eastern Europe. Some of us have dealt with job loss. Some of us have dealt with friend or loved one loss. There's a lot going on. Does he really mean that whatever happens, I have to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel? Paul is writing this letter, and if you know, or if you've already started reading from the front of the book, as I encourage you to, you're going to find out that Paul is writing this from prison. Paul is writing this from a situation that you and I would not long to uh, switch with. We don't want to be in prison, not now, not in the first century. Paul's writing from prison, and he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I don't know about Paul's attitude, but if I were in prison, especially for reasons that we probably don't think we should be there, I don't know that my attitude would be very good. But Paul's attitude is like this. Earlier in Philippians chapter 1, he says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, because of my brothers, because of the brothers, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, sometimes life brings us circumstances and we have a decision to make. How are we going to address this circumstance? How am I going to conduct myself in the face of this? And far too often we choose to complain, don't we? A situation comes up, up and we don't think it's fair, we don't think it's justified, and it may not be, and we say, you know what, I'm just going to complain about this, I'm going to gripe about this, I'm going to go to my Facebook and tell the whole world how unjust this was. <laughs> and Paul takes a different approach. He says, what if this is, is the place for my testimony? What if this is the place that God has called me to for this time? The whole palace guard knows that I am in chains for Christ. I don't know what Paul, in Paul's heart of hearts, I don't know what his private prayers were like, and I'm certain he had times that were difficult. Times he cried out to God and said, why this, why me, why now? But the, the story we have is that this was a place for his testimony. God has put me here to testify about what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And church, the same the same decision comes to us no matter what the circumstance is. He said, I say no matter what, he writes, whatever happens. No matter what, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This might be your first time with us this morning, and maybe you've never been to a church of Christ before. Uh, maybe Crosspoint's just a long line of churches of Christ that you've attended, but churches of Christ tend to be a pretty heady bunch. You know, our church tribe likes knowledge, we like learning, and we talk a lot about we might, what I might say is the what question. Those are the, that's the question we ask. What are we called to believe? What is the story? What's the right way to do things? In fact, for those of you who might have been in Church of Christ longer, you might realize that a lot of the discussions, borderline arguments maybe you've been part of, are all around the what question. What is the right way to do something? What is the right thing to believe? And don't get me wrong, that is a, a fair and a good question for us to ask. However, it's not the only question to ask. Not every Christian group asks the same questions, and we can expand how we think about things if we ask a different question. So while we emphasize what, there are other groups that emphasize how. 
Now, in this case, in Philippians chapter 1, I think that's exactly the question that Paul is asking. They know the what. They have faith. They have Jesus in their life. But he's asking, how are you going to live that out? How is your faith impacting your life? See, we don't want to disregard where Paul is. Paul's in prison, and yet his conduct has not changed. He gets into this circumstance, and he says, how am I called to be here now? The what is done. I'm here, whether it's fair or not, doesn't matter. The question is, is how will I live in this circumstance? Church, this isn't going to be easy. Answering this question correctly does not come easy when we come upon these circumstances in life. But no matter what happens, no matter the circumstance that comes our way, this verse holds true. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, if you're like me sitting there, the next natural question you might be asking is, well, what should my conduct be like? Kale keeps saying, no matter the circumstance, your conduct should be in a manner worthy of the gospel. What should your conduct be like? There's not really an easy way to answer that question, but I would say, like Jesus. And so how, how are we going to face every circumstance? Our circumstances are different than the ones we find in the Bible. They're constantly ongoing. Every person here faces things a little bit differently. But we want to approach these situations as a disciple of Christ is called to. So how do you do that? You know the story of Jesus, and you get to know him on a deep level in your life. We want to walk in step with him. And so while this church may often ask the what question, we have our verses that are core because we were answering, we're answering the what question. What is most important? Well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We ask the what question. Or maybe we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we hear about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is this all about? Those two passages answer that question. But if you're going to ask the how question, how am I called to live in this world? How am I called to be like Jesus? A text that you might want to center your life on is the Sermon on the Mount. See, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Matthew writes this sermon that Jesus gives. Matthew dedicates over 10% of his entire book to this one teaching from Jesus. He says Jesus goes up on the mountainside, he sits down, and he begins to teach. And for three straight chapters, if you have one of those older Bibles, it's only red letters. Jesus talks for three straight letters. And if we call ourselves his disciples, that might be an important passage to know. How are we called to live in this world? What is Jesus' kingdom vision for his followers? How are we called to live? So we center our lives on that text. How am I called to live? Jesus tells you. He doesn't say it's going to be easy, but he tells you. And I love the way that Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount. He tells a story that you may have heard. He said, you've heard these words, and now the question is whether you'll be wise or foolish. He said, see, see, a wise man builds his house on the rock. But a foolish man builds his house on the sand. So when the rains come, the house goes, what's it go, church? Splat. Man, first service did way better than you guys. <laughs> and what he, asks, what he tells us is, is that you've heard my words, you've heard my teaching. Now are you going to be wise or foolish? And there's no guessing as to what it is. Will you live out this text or not? Will you live out my teaching? That's what Jesus says. Are you going to be wise or foolish? He is the rock on which we build our life. So if you ask yourself, 
Okay, what should my conduct be like? It should be like Jesus. And Jesus tells you what he wants your life to look like. The second thing comes from the next part of this passage. He calls us to stand. Paul says, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Paul's basically saying that when you're going to live into this faith, life's not always going to be easy, but you're called to stand firm together. He says, as a church, you stand as one. As we've been saying all year, you're better together, church. That he has put us in relationship for a reason. See, Paul's calling them to stand, but there's been a lot of leaning going on. They have this long relationship with Paul. Paul is a hero of the faith. He's a father of the faith to many of them. And they want him to come visit. But there's been a lot of leaning on Paul. And he says, church, it's time to stand firm together. That's why God has established the church. It's not about any one person, but it's about this body standing together, striving for the faith together. Paul uses the stand language, and he wants to evoke some some battle imagery. He wants to evoke um, maybe some sports imagery. Think about it like we are on a team together. We have one goal, but it takes all of us. It takes a team effort. See, if you're going to live whatever happens in a manner worthy of the gospel, life's not always going to be easy. And we're going to have to be called, we're called to stand firm in our faith. If you're anything like me, it's, it's often easy to kind of negotiate what that looks like on the margins to make it easier in some ways to cut some corners that I'm not exactly I'm not maybe I'm not standing firm I'm not just I'm not running away and hiding either but when you're when you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel you're going to there's going to be some friction in some places because you aren't living like the world is living Paul wants you to know that your citizenship has changed Yes, you still go to work in Philippi. You still go to all the same stores. But you're a citizen of heaven first. You're a disciple of Christ first. And because of that, there's going to be times that it's difficult. And when that happens, you stand firm. He's alluding to it here. There's no reason to be frightened by those who oppose you. They will be destroyed, but you will be saved by God. This is how we're called to live. Our conduct in the face of an unbelieving community, is to live a worthy life. We are on duty together, one in spirit, one in soul. And church, that's how you do it. As you live this life, you cannot do it alone. Again, all year we've been saying you're better together. This is why the church was established. Jesus says, this is my body. And when we remain unified, then we can stand up to all of those who oppose. We're not apologizing for the faith that we have. We're not going to run away and hide just to make it easier. But there will be times that it's difficult, and that's what he concludes this teaching with. Paul says in verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have so I grow, when I was growing up, I guess I still do, I have two younger brothers. And 
you know, we had different chores around the house and we would have to, for instance, rotate who mowed the yard. And I'll just never forget in the summer months, you know, we wouldn't get up early exactly. And so then you're doing it in the heat of the day and it's hot. And I remember my dad would just come to me and say, Kale, I'm going to grant this for you. It's your day to mow the yard. I would say, your attitude and your words are not matching up. (laughs) Because you're acting like this is a favor. This doesn't sound like a favor. And we read this text. It has been granted to you, not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer on his behalf. Paul presents it as this is a grace to us. This is a gift to us. I don't really take it that way. Typically, when I think about suffering, I think that that's the the last thing that I want. If I could avoid it at any cost, that's what I want. How can I make this faith, how can I make life as easy as possible? How can I do it and remain as comfortable as I can? I don't want to suffer. I don't want it to be difficult. But Paul says it's been grace to you. It's been granted to you. Not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for Christ. And in fact, church, that is how the early church viewed it. We have record not only in the New Testament, but in the early first centuries of Christianity, that those who were called to suffer, those who were called to martyrdom, even on their deathbed, even in their last few hours, they viewed it as a badge of honor, that they would be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. To those who bear the name of Christian who call themselves a disciple, follow Jesus. I know I'm not breaking any new ground there for many of you. But think about this Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But Jesus led a life, and he led led him all the way to the cross. And if you call yourself a disciple, you follow him in that life. Again, I typically want to make it as easy as possible. How can I make it more comfortable? But if I'm going to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, and if I'm going to stand firm in that, church, Paul's promise, what the New Testament guarantees, is that there will be suffering. It's not always going to be easy. If you've lived any amount of life, you know that life will get difficult in times. There will be suffering. And we're called to, in that moment, choose how we will respond to this. Will we respond like Paul? Paul, who though in prison, views it as a place for his testimony. When prison or sickness or persecution comes, or job loss, or we lose family members, when life gets hard, even on the smallest end, when gas prices rise a little bit, how will you live in that time? What will your testimony say about you in that moment? Because what Paul says is that we suffer, that it's a gift, that you have been called worthy. This is what your life looks like. In 2009, there was a study done in Germany. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to know if, that, if they dropped you off in the woods, in the forest, with no compass, no map, no directions, no man-made signs, Could you walk in a straight line? There's a test. And they told you what the test was. Walk in a straight line. I don't know if you've probably never tried this, but here's here's what they found out. You can't do it. 
You can't be dropped in a straight line. You can't be dropped in the forest and walk in a straight line. That even if you know that's the test, you'll try to, well, you need to go a little bit left, a little bit right. That more often than not, rather than walking in a straight line, people actually walk in a circle. You keep adjusting and you walk closer to a circle than you do a straight line. That's kind of what it's like if we're going to try to live this Christian life with dual citizenship. If we're going to say, you know, I've been called into this Christian life, but I'm, yeah, I'm also, I'm proud to be from Philippi. I'm proud to be here. I still want to kind of, I want it to still be as normal as possible. You're going to be live, you're going to be walking in a circle. What Jesus calls us to, what Paul reminds us of here, is to leave all of that behind and follow him. That no matter the circumstance, we are called to live, to conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. That's who we're called to be, church. It's not going to be easy. I can promise you that. But this whole morning, I love the service that Kyle helped put together today because all the songs that you sang this morning are promised other promises that we keep in hand also. So while we've been promised that it will be difficult at times, there will be suffering, we'll have to stand firm in our faith, you can also be confident that he has promised a place with him. You can be confident that the tomb is empty, and so there is no death for you as well, church. That you have a promise of a new life with him. These are the promises we hold, and so when we are reminded of those It's easy to conduct ourselves as he does because we remember that our citizenship is with him and because of that, we can be confident to live out this faith. So our challenge for you this morning is we know that you brought a lot in here today. We want you to leave it at the foot of the cross that as we walk out, the challenges will still remain but now we will conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of him. We call ourselves disciples and that's who we are to be, church. One of my favorite promises of God comes from Romans chapter eight. He says, no matter what comes your way, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That no matter where you find yourself in a forest trying to walk a straight line, in the world as, as always, you can promise, you can bet your life on the promise that God walks with you. You have never walked alone, church, and you're not going to start today. That no matter what comes your way, he is right there with you. And so today, as we close, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. And we want to pray with you. We believe that this church was established to walk together so we can stand firm in our faith. So let us bear those burdens with you. Let us celebrate with you. And maybe if you haven't decided you want to take Christ on in baptism, let today be that day. We're going to give up all other citizenship. We're going to be one with him. Our baptistry is ready. Whatever we can do to help you today, won't you come while we stand and sing?